sermon. Well, hey, take your copy of God's Word, if you've got one, and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is where we're going to be, and we're going to begin in verse number one. We are just so glad to be with you. I'm glad to be with you today. This is Veterans Day weekend, and we are so thankful for our veterans. Let's stand as we read God's Word. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number one. It is, not, it is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, for I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia uh, has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove vain in this manner, so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you were not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it was necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead of you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not an extraction. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is made up in his mind, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As is is written, he has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way for all your generosity, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You may be seated. If you showed up today and this is your first time, uh, we're going to talk about money. (laughs) I've been pastor here for almost 25 months, and this is my second sermon on money, and last week was the first one. You're welcome. You say, oh no, I came on Money Sunday. Last Sunday, eight people gave their lives to Christ on Money Sunday, so we thought we'd run it back, amen? Here's the question. I want to ask this group over here, and you don't have to raise your hand if you want to, but if you do, then it might help me in a moment. How many of you think you're rich? Studies have found that most Americans don't think they're rich. There was a Gallup poll that was done. There was a study that was done. Asked Americans, how much money do you think you would need to feel rich? And so they asked people who made $30,000 a year, how much money do you need to feel rich? The answer was 75,000. They asked people making $75,000 a year, how much money do you need to make annually to feel rich? They said $120,000 a year. They went to those people making $120,000 a year, asking them, how much money do you need to make annually to feel rich? They said $200,000. The moral of the story (laughs) is that nobody feels they're rich and that everybody feels like they need a little bit more. But if you are here today, the overwhelming majority of you in this room, you're rich. Especially if you compare yourself to the world. Think about this, the the global annual household income on average is $12,235 a year. 
Now, if you are a teacher in Collier County, I'm not telling you that you are underpaid. As a matter of fact, you survived COVID and you are living in this day and world. You deserve combat pay. <laughs> Amen. But if you are a teacher in Collier County, you are in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Historically and globally, the overwhelming majority of us in this room and those watching online are wealthy. And yet, if you were to ask us, do you feel wealthy? We would say no. But then if you ask someone, are you generous? Most people will say, yeah, I'm generous. But the reality is we're not as generous as we think. Studies have found that the average church-going Christian gives 2% of their money away to charity. That's not gospel giving. That's just giving to charity. The Bible says to whom much is given, much is required. We looked at last week, and this is still the truth, that everything that you have, everything that I have is from God, and everything is ultimately for God. We were created by God to love God and to love people, and then we can use money to do that. But if you love money, you will use God and you will use people to get more money. And so throughout the histories, history of the church, out throughout the teaching of the scriptures, the Bible really talks a lot about money. There is a long nerve that goes from a person's heart to their wallet. It's painful sometimes. 15% of the Bible, 2,350 verses are dedicated to talking about money. And the reason why is because money is the number one competitor in the human heart for supremacy. Money has spiritual power over our lives. It has the ability to tear families apart. And so the Bible teaches that if you can view your money right, everything else will take care of itself. So Paul here is spending two chapters writing to a church, dealing with multiple issues. And in these two chapters, chapters eight and nine, he's dealing with the topic of giving, dealing with the topic of generosity, because these people to whom he's writing to made a promise that they were going to give money to help people who were starving and in famine in the city of Jerusalem. They had made a promise, they had made a pledge a year ago, and now Paul is reminding them, hey guys, it's time to pony up. And the reason why he has to write them is because some of them were having second thoughts. Some of them were distrustful of Paul, thinking that Paul was a prophet for profit and that he was gonna skim some of the money off of the top. Others were saying, you know what? I don't know if we can afford to give because of what is happening here. And so Paul has been teaching them that no, you are to trust God and to live a generous life. And the reason why is, is this, is that generosity is the overflow of grace in my life based on the generosity of Jesus. As Jesus has done for me, so should I do for others. So Paul here in these two chapters is not just wanting the Corinthians to be generous for a season in response to a sermon, but he wants them to be generous for a lifetime in response to the gospel. But it's all about how you think about it. And so generosity comes from having the grace-filled mentality that trusts God for the ability to give in order to reflect his glory to the world around us. And so it's about the mentality. So stay with me. Here we go. First, I want you to look at the mentality of generosity. 
In verses one through five, Paul is saying, listen, it, I don't really need to talk to you about this gift. I don't really need to talk to you about this money because I know you guys are ready, but I'm gonna do it anyway. And I'll just be straight with you. Whenever pastors talk about money, people just get, it's just weird. But I think, not even with that, I think when anyone talks about money, 62% of a, a recent sur survey done by CNBC found that 62% of Americans don't like to talk about money. People just get nervous. This is Granny said, people get as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs when it comes to talking about money. And then sometimes it's just flat out awkward. It's like talking about a colonoscopy. But for Paul, this is not a matter of awkwardness. This is not a matter of guilt, manipulation, or shame. This is an issue of discipleship. If you are gonna be a follower of Jesus, you're gonna be generous as Jesus has been generous to you. And so Paul says, listen, I know your readiness. I know that you are willing to do whatever it takes to do this offering, but I just wanna remind you of the offering anyway. Now, why would he do that? Why would he have to remind them of this offering? Well, one, there's some people gonna come and pick up the offering and if they come up and pick up the offering and there's no offering to pick up, it would be a little humiliating. But I think the reason why Paul is writing to them and to us today, the reason why this is in scripture is because of our natural tendency and our sinful mentality to not be generous. Our natural tendency is to hide, to hoard, and to protect what is ours. Now, why is that? I'm so glad you asked. Because everyone in this room sees life through one of two lenses. You either see life through an abundance mentality or a scarcity mentality. And, and Jesus put it best. Jesus, when he's talking about money, talking about greed, he says this in Luke chapter 11, verse 34. It's kind of like we read this. Sometimes when you're like in a Bible reading plan and you have these verses like, man, that's gotta be important, but I don't know what it means. Here may be one of those verses. Here's what Jesus says. He says, your eye is the lamp of your body. Do you understand that? That, that how you see stuff is through your eye. And he says, when your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. Can I get a witness on that? When you can see, your body is full of light. But when your eye is bad, your body is full of darkness. In other words, how you see life affects everything about you. And so there are two lenses by which you can see and interpret reality. One is with a healthy eye, a healthy eye that sees abundance. And the other one is an unhealthy eye, an eye that sees scarcity. So let's just think about that. What does it mean to have this scarcity mentality? If you have a scarcity mentality, that is you see the whole world through the lens of scarcity, it means that when you look at everything, you just think, man, the future is bleak. There's not enough stuff out there. I've got to fight for what is mine. I've got to do whatever it takes to make sure that I protect myself and that I have enough for myself and my family. And when that's your mindset, when you think that the world is a world of lack, you become blind to the needs of others. And only thing that you think about is what you don't have, but still want. And so your life is consumed by greed. Your life is consumed by discontentment and your life is consumed by fear. You're never happy. Like you'll go somewhere and you'll have a great experience and you'll nitpick all the things that you wish were better because it wasn't enough. Or you're just never satisfied. 
And so when Paul is talking about this idea of scarcity, he says in verse number six, he's using some agricultural references here. He says, listen, the point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. If you have a scarcity mindset, you're gonna sow sparingly. You're not gonna sow the seed out liberally because you're gonna be worried. And so he's saying this with giving that when, when you have a scarcity mindset, you're not gonna be generous. Because you're going to see giving and, and helping other people, you're going to see it as a tax. You're going to see it as some sort of form of manipulation. You, you're only you're going to see this as, well, I, you're guilted into that. It's like paying a bill. And so if you have a scarcity mindset, you really give very little compared to what you have. And when you do give, it is painful. It's like a root canal. It's like a tooth extraction. And you're very reluctant now, now why, why do we have this scarcity mindset? What, what causes that? Well, I don't think it's greed as much as it is fear. See, here's a thought. If I give this away, what's gonna be left for me and my family? Well, what about the economy? You know, we got, our choices for president are good, and actually they're not good. They're bad, terrible, and ugly. If you find a good one, tell me about them. And so people are like, what's going to happen to the economy? I mean, listen, I don't know if you've been riding the, the Dow Jones, but it's, it's all over the place. What's the future going to be? If I give my money away, what about my retirement? What about my 401k? What about my kids and their future? Because I want my kids to have everything I didn't have. And I, I want them to be rich, spoiled brats. And I mean, I want them to have that. See, I think a lack of generosity is not a personality flaw. I think it's a lack of faith. We just don't trust God. Well, where did that come from? Where did this distrust of God come from? It started in the Garden of Eden. See, if you look at Genesis 1 and 2, you have this great, beautiful cacophony of God's generosity that he gives and gives and gives and gives to humanity. He created the world and everything in it so that humans would flourish. He gave to Adam and Eve absolutely everything that they would ever want to live a life of flourishing. And yet one day a snake showed up. That's why a good snake's a dead snake, amen? <laughs> and the snake says, well, you can't trust God. Listen, Adam and Eve, you gotta watch out for number one. You, you know better than God. You can't trust him. See, up until this point, everything that Adam and Eve ever got from God, they received it from God. But in that moment, when they took matters into their own hands, instead of receiving from God, the Bible says that Adam and Eve took from the tree that wasn't theirs to take. See, they were in a garden with everything they could ever want, and Satan tricked them to believe that they didn't have everything that they needed. Instead of receiving gratefully from God, they greedily took from God wasn't, what wasn't theirs to take. And instead of trusting God to provide for them, they took matters into their own hands. And ever since then, there's been a chain reaction that that's what we feel in our hearts, that we can't trust God. A.W. Tozer in his book, The Pursuit of Holiness, said this. He says, there is within the human heart a tough, fibrous root of fallen life whose nature is to possess, always to possess. It covets things with a deep, fierce passion. The pronouns my and mine look innocent enough in print, but their constant and universal use is significant. 
You know, some of the first words that your children learn is mine. That's mine. It came from the Garden of Eden. So Paul says, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. That is a scarcity mindset. But what Paul is getting at is, no, you need to have the right mindset, and that's an abundance mentality. An abundance mentality is looking through the lens of God's generosity to you. Is that you see that everything you have is a gift from God, that all of life is a gift that you do not deserve, and that God has been so good and so faithful, and he's so worthy of your trust, and that you live in a world of abundance. And the result of living with a healthy eye is you live a life of gratitude to God and generosity to others. Verse six, whoever sows bountifully reaps bountifully. The abundance mentality leads to generosity that you see giving as an opportunity to bless, that you willingly, thoughtfully, and cheerfully give, that it is a joy for you to give to meet the needs of another. That's why Paul says in verse seven that God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful is where we get our word hilarious. God loves hilarious givers. Like, could you imagine after the service when we take up the offering and the boxes and you bring your offering, we don't take it up, but we, you bring your offering to the Lord, that when you're going to the offering box, you're laughing, ha, ha, you're like, you're having a big time. Or, or when you're online and you're, put, you're laughing, you're hilarious. That's what he's talking about here. Now, most of us are not cheerful givers, but most of us are cheerful, cheer, cheerful spenders. Like we love to buy stuff. Like the national pastime in Naples is to wake up, play pickleball, eat, shop, rinse and repeat. We love to shop. Now, Jeff Bezos is not an idiot. He created this thing where you can click and buy. And in two days or less, you can get it to your house. Before long, I'm, I'm envisioning, it's already happening some places in America, you click a button and five minutes later, someone knocks on your door and they give it to you. Listen, we have to have that instant gratification. There is a joy. I mean, some of you all back in the day, I think it's changed now because online giving, but you all remember Black Friday sales and people would get there after Thanksgiving and you would get there and you would wait outside and you would be in line to be, in, to be at the very front to get a, a $300 TV for $299.99 <laughs> so that you could plug it in and six months later it breaks. God loves those who are excited to give back to God. God loves to give more to those who love to give. And he's excited for those who give to him what he has graciously and generously given to them. You know, Christmas, as I'm, you're starting to get the picture, is coming. We have a tradition in the Brumbach house, we're a little weird, is that we do the opening of the presents on Christmas Eve. I know that's anathema for some of you. And so on Christmas Eve, we'll give the kids their gifts. They'll get their grandparents' gifts. And then we'll get gifts from our kids. And our kids love to buy us gifts with our money. <laughs> they are excited 
They have joy in their eyes. Oh, Daddy, I'm so happy. Uh, isn't this a great? I'm so generous, Daddy. Mama gave me $100, and I bought you this $10 razor set that you'll never use. <laughs> what did you do with the rest of the $90? I don't know. <laughs> oh, that's a new purse. Really? Where'd you get that? I don't know. <laughs> that's why we are. Everything we have is from God, and when we give back to God, we're just giving back what it's already is. But it's all about the mentality. You see, y'all's tricking with me on this. It's all about the mentality. Do you have a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality? Because if what Paul's teaching in this text is that if you come with an abundance mentality, which only is a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ in your life, because you're naturally born with a scarcity mentality, then that gives you the ability to be generous. See, the scarcity mentality sucks away the ability to be truly generous. But the abundance mentality gives you the ability for generosity. And that's what Paul's saying here. Verse number eight, he says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Paul says, listen, God is able to give you everything you need to be generous. He uses the word all four times, all, 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 all. You know what all means? All. God is able to do all things, all that you need at all times. You know what I think our problem is, is that we don't expect too much from God. We expect too little from God. We see God as stingy. You know why? Because we're stingy. God has the ability and the desire to lavish upon you every kind of grace that you need to meet the need. This is a word. If you are a born-again, spirit-filled, good-and-saved Christian, you have no excuse. You can be generous. Paul grounds it in Scripture. He quotes Psalm 112. He distributes freely. He has given to the poor. God is a generous God. God's been generous to you. You know who the poor are? That's you. You and I are poor. We're poor in spirit. God has been so gracious to us. Again, the abundance mentality only comes as a response to the gospel of grace. And what you see about God is that God's name in the Bible is not El Chipo. God takes care of his people. His righteousness endures forever. He's not going to run out. Here's the thing. If you see this truth that God can give you everything you need, that's from an abundance mentality. But God knows our heart. He knows we're hardwired for scarcity mentality. And so he tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter six, he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. I mean, like the number one pastime for most retirees after lunch is to think about what they're gonna have for dinner, Right? What you're, about your body and what you're going to put on, that's the number one pastime for teenage girls and teenage guys. What am I going to wear? I don't have anything to wear. You have a closet full of clothes. I got nothing to wear. So be anxious because Jesus says, is, is your life not more than food? 
Is your body not more than clothing? And so as Jesus is saying this, I can just imagine some birds flying overhead, chirp, chirping around. And he says, hey, look at the birds. They don't sow. They don't reap. They don't gather into barns. They don't have bank accounts. They're not worried. Birds don't go on Prozac. <laughs> Yet your heavenly father feeds them. They're, they're not misers. They just trust a loving heavenly father to feed them. Well, Jesus is saying, listen, y'all need to have more faith than a dumb bird. Birds have faith. He says, listen, are you not more valuable than the birds? If God takes care of a dumb bird, he'll take care of a dumb you. But it's all about mentality. Stay with me. This is a good one. The scarcity mentality says this. The more I give, the less I have. The abundance mentality says the more I give, the more God will provide for me to give. See, he says in verse number 10, he says, he who supplies the seed to the sower will supply and multiply your seed for harvesting. Who gives the farmer the seed? God. No farmer considers sowing a seed a loss of the seed. Well, put that seed in the ground and I don't have any more seeds. No, a good farmer knows that when you plant a seed into the ground, that in time there will be a harvest and that harvest will provide multiple seeds for next season. No farmer hoards the seed in the barn in fear that if they sow it, they will lose it. No, they put it in the ground expecting it to multiply. That's what Paul's saying here. Only those who understand that law are gonna be the ones who give because the harvest is limited to the planting. God only multiplies what you give. You can't reap what you don't sow. And if you think that you have to get your finances in order and your finances multiplied in order for you to give, you're mistaken. It's like going to the bank and saying to the bank, hey, I want some interest on money I haven't deposited. It doesn't work that way. But when you give by faith, God then multiplies it. But if you hold tightly onto your stuff, the same hand that is closed fisted with the stuff is the same hand that is closed to receive more from God. See, God doesn't want you to be a cul-de-sac. He wants you to be a conduit. If you ever drank a milkshake from Chick-fil-A, they got the little bitty straws all this goodness is there. And one of my favorites, can I get a witness on this, is cookies and cream. Amen. That will flow in heaven as far as the east is from the west. The river of God will be a Chick-fil-A milkshake. Amen. And there will be no calories there. Amen. And no fat. Where was I going? You're drinking that milkshake and then all of a sudden you're trying to get some out and then it's stocked up. You know what? It's a little piece of that cookie. It can't flow because there's something stopping it. The straw is constipated. (laughs) 
It can't flow because there's something stopping it. Do you understand that God wants to flow through you? And it may be your fear and your distrust of God that's stopping it up. Martin Luther said this. He says, I have held many things in my hands and I've lost them all. But whatever I've placed in God's hands, that still I possess. Paul says, listen, you will be enriched in every way. Verse 11, you will be enriched in every way for all your generosity. He says, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. And what does that mean? It means that God blesses you to be a blessing. And in every way, God blesses you. Now, every way means every way. God blesses you financially. When you're generous, God does, can, will bless you financially. He can bless you spiritually. He can bless you physically. There's ways that God blesses you. He's gonna enrich you in every way. Now, listen, I'm not telling you that God is some cosmic slot machine that if you put a few pennies in that you're gonna become out a millionaire. That is not what I'm talking about here. This is not a name it and claim it, blab it and grab it thing I'm talking about here. But I am telling you that the Bible tells us that if we are generous with our money, God will somehow be generous to us in a way that we need the most. Sometimes it may be financially, but you know what's even better than a financial blessing? Contentment. The secret to a happy life is not having all you want, but it's wanting all you have. Now, there are two ditches when it comes to giving and generosity in the church. One ditch is poverty theology. It's the belief that being poor is being holy. Some of you say, well, I'm really holy, pastor. <laughs> but this theology says that wealth should be avoided because it's dangerous to your faith. And I think that there is some truth to that. But this theology says that the poorer you are, the more spiritual you are, that your standing before God is based on how much you deny yourself the things of the world. And what the problem with is that's a false gospel because it's putting your identity in what you don't have. And sometimes, even, even some of us in the church, you understand that we can kind of have a poverty theology because we can become very self-righteous when it comes to giving. You know, we can give, maybe you give faithfully to the church and you look at other people and you start judging their generosity and you see what they drive and you see where they live and you see how much money they make and where they vacation and you start judging them. Listen, it is very easy for us to look at someone else and see what they have and to think that they're greedy. But let me just let you in on something. You are not the fourth member of the Trinity. You do not know everyone's heart and you do not know everyone's generosity. So one ditch is poverty. The other one is prosperity, prosperity theology. It's a belief that the abundance of possessions is the essence of and the proof of God's blessing. It promises that if you do the right things, God will reward your faith with financial success and health. And, and, and here's the thought. Is it, it the, the prosperity theology says that if you're not thriving materially, it's because something has gone wrong in you spiritually. And so people will flock to this theology because they want to be healthy and they want to be wealthy and they, uh, they will be convinced in their minds that serving God doesn't mean I'll ever suffer. And what happens is that when people that think that mentality 
suffer than they think either A, I've done something wrong or B, God's God's done something wrong when the answer might be neither. See, it's a false gospel because it puts your identity in what you have. And Paul here is neither preaching prosperity gospel nor poverty gospel. He's preaching the gospel. And that is this, is that God is not some get rich quick scheme. But God is generous to those who are generous. And that he will bless you with more grace and more ability to be generous as you are generous. And think about this. Here's a question I heard someone say, and I thought it was really good. Here's what he said. He says, based on what you're doing with what God has given you so far, if you were God, would you give you more money? Think about that. Now, before we move on, I'm sure you're ready for us to move on. I want to give you four practical tips about this. This is something my wife and I practice. I think it's be helpful for you when it comes to giving. Four best practices. Number one is tithing. Some people say, pastor, isn't the Old Testament about tithing, but we're in the New Testament now? Well, yes, the Old Testament is tithing. And so, hey, listen, you don't have to just tithe anymore. (laughs) You can go above it, right? I mean, Jesus didn't tithe his blood. He gave all his blood, so come on. Most of the people who ask about tithing don't want to tithe. They don't ask about how much more they can give. They want to see how less they can give. But I think if you want to start somewhere, biblically looking at principles, I think the Bible teaches to tithe. And I believe it teaches to tithe to the local church. You say, Pastor, that's crazy. No, it's biblical. You say, I can't afford 10%. Well, that's, I understand that because the average American uh, spends 108% of what they make. And so maybe what you have to learn is you just give what you can. And maybe it's 1%. Maybe it's whatever. And you start learning from that because I believe there is, there's a lot of good things that come by not living beyond your means. You say, well, how can I give? I can't give 10%. I understand that. Give what you can give and trust God with it. You ever heard of David Jeremiah? David Jeremiah, he's a great preacher. He's the older guy now. And so he says stuff, he can get away with it. Like I'm a younger guy, I can't say it and get away with it. He can say, I mean, what are they gonna do to him? Fire him? I mean, look, whatever, fire me. I'll hire myself, okay? And so he tells a story of this couple that came to his church and they were a young couple and they say, hey, Pastor Jeremiah, uh, we want to start tithing, but we're scared that if we start tithing, we're not going to be able to have enough money at the end of the month. And so we're really scared. What should we do? And, and, and David Jeremiah looked at him and said, well, here's what you should do. Why don't you at the first of the month think of what your tithe would be, write that check for the, for the entire month of what that tithe would be. You hand that check to me. I will hold it on my desk at the end of the month. If you don't have enough money to pay your bills, I will rip that check up. They said, you would do that for us? And David Jeremiah looked at him and said, no! (laughs) Why do you trust me more than you trust God? Now again, he's an old man, he can get away with that. That's why I quote a lot of old men. (laughs) Here's what I'm saying. Do you trust yourself more with the money or do you trust God with the money? Second thing that we try to do is, is a blessing fund to set aside money to bless other people, other ministries. We support Compassion. We support FCA. We support other people. There's just some people in our lives that we want to bless and we want to bless them in Jesus' name. And so I would say, hey, have a blessing fund uh, in, in, your, in your budget. Another thing is the graduated tithe. As your income goes up, you should choose to increase your giving. The goal is to live on less and to give more. One of the goals that April and I have is I want to give more this year than I gave last year. And here's something else I'm praying through is I want what I give to the local church to be my biggest thing I spend in the month. Think about that. 
I want it to be more than my house payment because I believe Jesus is worthy of it all. The fourth thing is radical gifts. Sometimes you have those opportunities to give radically. That's not all the time, but those specific things that you want to give to. April and myself, we love to do that. And you say, Pastor, you just want my money. Listen, I want to remind you, this is not what I want from you. This is what I want for you. If God says, listen, if you have a mentality that everything you have is from God and that God will continue to give you the ability to be generous, then wouldn't you want to follow what God's best is for your life? Wouldn't you want God to be able to use you and flow through you so that he can bless others and advance his kingdom? Isn't that what you would want? It's not what we want from you. And I want to reiterate, if you don't believe in the vision and the ministry of this church, then give your money to the place where you do believe in the vision and the ministry of this church. But I believe in the vision and ministry of this church and I'm going to give everything I can here. Because, because where your money is, that's where your heart will be. And I want my heart to be here. Now let's get the third point and then we'll be really done and then I'll, I won't preach on giving for a while, right? <laughs> Just kidding, next week. All right, here we go. <clears throat> mentality. When you have the abundance mentality, you will see God's supernatural ability and it will lead to the beauty, the beauty of generosity. I don't have time to unpack all these verses. Verses 11 and 12 say, that from generosity comes an overflow of thanksgiving, an explosion of thanksgiving. Generosity produces gratitude. Gra generosity opens the door for people to be blessed and God to be praised. As, as, let me ask you a question. And, and, and I, I do want, it, it, I mean, I'm not gonna embarrass anybody, but I do want you to raise your hands. Have you ever, any time in your life, ever received something generously, financially to your life that you weren't expecting and it blessed you? Amen. When you got that, what did you do? Did you say praise Jesus? I did. Somebody said spend it. I, I agree with you but it leads you to thanksgiving. Listen, when someone blesses you, you want to bless them, you want to thank them, and you want to praise the Lord. You say, look at God, he did it again. When you have received generosity, the response is you want to be grateful. And then when you are generous, the response is that others are grateful to God. I love this G.K. Chesterton quote. G.K. Chesterton, preacher from the 20th century, said this. He said, the worst moment for an atheist is when he's really thankful and has no one to thank. Paul says, listen, verses 13, 14, that when you are generous, others are going to glorify God. When this gospel giving flows out of a heart of gratitude to God and his grace from this abundance mentality, that it multiplies gratitude with thanksgiving. Paul got so excited in verse 15 as he was thinking about what's going to happen from this gift that he just started breaking out in song and breaking out in doxology. And he says, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. See, the beauty of generosity is that others see the glory of God and his goodness and grace flowing through us so that it causes them to give praise to him. Now, I want to remind you, the purpose of generosity is not getting money out of your pockets. It's getting idols out of your heart. 
that guilt will never be enough to change the structure of your heart. Greed and fear must be replaced with grace and gospel. And so giving is a practice that moves your heart from fear, greed, and a lack of trust in God to a heart of love, justice, and freedom. I don't know about you, but I don't want to be stingy anymore. Does any, do you? I don't want to be fearful anymore. I want to live in freedom. Only people who've been saved by the grace of God and know it are free people. And I want to be free. I don't want money to have a hold of me anymore. I don't want to be bound by the bondage of money. I don't want to have in my mindset, the only thing I think about is my money. I want to think about God. And so... Our generosity should never be about making much of us. Our generosity should never be about leaving a legacy for people to give us credit for. Our generosity should never be about putting our name on anything. But everything that we do that is for God is from God. And so to God be the glory forever. So let's land a plane. Seatbelts on. I just was on a plane yesterday. Put your tray table up. If we're honest, y'all want to be honest? Y'all want to play church today? If we're honest, even though we know generosity is good for us, even though we know we have been so blessed, we want to hoard, we want to hide rather than give and to share. Just do. And it's who we are. When the kids were little, we would take them to Chick-fil-A. The Bible says, train a child in the way they should go. <laughs> and back in those days, one kid's meal could feed three kids. Then they got a little older, and you had to buy three kids' meals to feed three kids. The best thing about that is if you didn't keep the toy, you got ice cream going. That's the smartest thing Truett Kathy ever came up with. And so what, what happened is, is that my kids, all three of them would get, would get their kids' meals. And because I'm a good steward of the resources, if they had leftovers, I would eat them. Because <laughs> I didn't want to waste. I mean, granddaddy used to say, there's poor people starving somewhere. I mean, you know. And now they're older. And instead of getting one kid's meal apiece, I have to get them their own individual adult meal. And they want a number one, okay, with a Sprite. And then I'll get mine and I'll pay $50. <laughs> we'll sit down for the meal. The boys, they'll inhale theirs and I'll eat mine and then I'll eat, I'll inhale mine. And my daughter eats a little slower than the boys. And so the other day we were at Chick-fil-A and I'd ate mine and my boys had ate theirs. And I saw Anna had basically eaten none of her fries and there was one particular fry that looked really, really good. <laughs> and I noticed I had just enough Chick-fil-A sauce to make it work. So I grabbed that fry from her and she looked at me as if she was going to kill me. <laughs> she said, Daddy, that's my fry. 
In my head, I'm thinking, girl, I bought all this food. That's my fry. That's my fries. Mm-hmm. You know what I did? Give it back to her. Then the Holy Spirit hit me. And I said, that's who I am. I'm a hoarder just like that. Because everything I have, God paid for. All he asks is just some little meager bit of generosity. And I look at him and I say, mine, mine. When he says, no, it's really mine. But I love you enough. You can have it. Paul wrote this to the Corinthians earlier. He said in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? Like, what do you have that God didn't give you? Nothing. And why do you act like you did it yourself? He says, already you have all that you want. Already you've become rich. Do you understand we're rich? That everything we have, we need. And the greatest thing we would ever need is a right relationship with God. And Jesus died on a cross and rose from the dead to give us eternal life in which money cannot buy and death cannot take away. Listen, your money cannot buy everything because one day you might get a call from a doctor. One day you might have a state trooper knock on your door and money can't do one thing with that. But the only thing that will matter is Jesus. And Jesus has given you everything. And if he has given you everything, he is worthy of it all. And so I just want to say as we end, and I know it went a little long, but it's okay. Let's just be gratitude. Let's just be grateful. I want to be grateful. Let's live a life of gratitude. Father, help us. God, I'm so I'm so stingy. I'm so greedy. I act like this is mine and none of it's mine. God, I want you to flow through me. I don't want to be a, I don't want to be a hindrance to what you want to do. So break me up so that I can flow through you and you can throw, flow through me. God, help me to be grateful for everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and let's sing gratitude.